Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 39. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Emily, uh, for reading the scripture for us this morning. Good morning, church. I'm glad you're able to come in uh, on this Sunday morning uh, to worship together and to sing praises to God uh, together. Thanks for those joining in online uh, and to our service as well. As we get started, Uh, Why don't we just pray? Father, we thank you for this morning and for this day that you have made. And you are good, Lord. You are so good to us. And today, as we go through your word, may you speak to us and may you remind us of your goodness. May you remind us of of how you are God and you are sovereign over all and you are in control and you are real in our lives. So thank you for everyone that's here. No matter the weeks that we have had, God, we are here and we are still before you and you have a personal word for us. So may you give us word, uh, ears to hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As, as September is starting, a lot of different ministries are starting at our church, and a lot of um, life is trying to go back, well, trying, we're going back to normal a little bit more uh, with school and maybe with your work schedule. I know with Journey Youth and the young adults, they're starting as well. They had a launch party a couple weeks ago, and that, heard that was a lot of fun. Uh, the leaders uh, had a good time planning and playing games and connecting. Uh, and maybe you're busy, as Aaron has shared, our chairperson today, with life and just trying to go back into a regular schedule uh, and, and whatnot. And we all, as we go through different phases of life, we all uh, uh, celebrate uh, different things, uh, different uh, milestones in your life that are important, certain points of your life that mean a lot to you. And, and this week, I, I, I got some time, uh, I found a random article that I was reading. I read a lot of random articles. Uh, and this, this week's random article was on festivals and things that people celebrate, like strange festivals, not like normal, you know, like your birthday or like Easter and Christmas, uh, things that we get together for, but strange things and strange festivals and celebrations, things like, like the International Air Guitar Festival uh, and competitions, where every year the competition is held in Norway, and there's three things you measure with. I can't remember what the three of them are, but one of them is you get measured for your airness, the presence of the stage, whether your fingers look like you're actually playing the note or not. And for those of you that are from Hong Kong or visited Hong Kong, apparently every year on an island called Changzhou, uh, a small island off of Hong Kong, there's the uh, Changzhou Bun Festival. 
which people climb a tower of buns and see how many they can collect. Uh, and connected with it is also a parade called the Floating Children Parade, where they have these little kids on these sticks and they parade them around. I don't know what they're celebrating, but that's what they're doing. Uh, there's also every year the Underwater Music Festival, where you have these headphones and they're playing live music, not live, oh, no, they're playing music in a, through a speaker in the ocean and you sit there just listening and you're you know, encouraged to dress up and look like uh, you're part of the ocean. There's the Monkey Buffet Festival in Thailand. Not to eat monkeys, but to give monkeys a buffet. Every single year, they, pre they prepare lots of food for the monkeys to have a parfait. A parfait, I love this one, a world toe wrestling competition. Uh, where I guess during COVID, your hands can't meet, but your toes can. And they meet at, in places called the toadiums, uh, where their toes wrestle and there's a champion every year, and that's held in the UK. Or also in Finland, uh, the wife carrying competition. Ever heard of that one? Where husbands carry their wives around a 253.5 meter track with obstacles, and the winner gets awarded the wife's weight in beer. That's <laughs> your, your prize. We celebrate some strange things. There's some strange festivals around the world. And today we read about a different kind of celebration, a different kind of festival, as we continue on in our series called Meals with Jesus. As we go through the Gospel of Luke, we see the disciples and Jesus going to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. And we see the kind of people that Jesus and his disciples have meals with, and the festivals that he's a part of, the celebrations that he's a part of. And today, we read of the celebration that Levi held for Jesus. We see how Levi celebrates, how Levi celebrates after meeting and following Christ. And we see today how an unusual person that you wouldn't think would follow Christ celebrates this unusual way of meeting Christ. And that's just how it is. All throughout the Gospels, all throughout Scripture, we see this story in this pattern that we usually find Jesus finding a way to unusual people. That, that's the way that Jesus is. He goes around speaking to people and people that weren't part of society. And maybe today you're feeling an, like an outcast, you don't belong, you feel like you're different than society, or you don't feel like you have the friends and family that like everyone else has. And here, maybe today that there's a word for us, because all of us uh, are strange in a way. All of us are definitely in need of rescue. And I'm titling the sermon today, Jesus is the only way from Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 39. And the big idea for us is this, Jesus is the only one who can make the difference you're looking for in life. Jesus is the only one who can make the difference you're looking for in life. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 starts like this, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. After this, after what? Well, if you read through uh, chapter 5, which I encourage you to do just before this, it's the story of the paralytic being lowered through the roof. Uh, and Jesus heals him of his physical illnesses, but not only that, but forgives him of his sins. After this, Jesus went out. And saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. And Levi, as, aka also known as Matthew, uh, the Apostle Matthew, uh, which means the gift of God. He's one of the apostles later after this moment. He was probably renamed by Jesus uh, right here after he decided to follow him. Uh, often in scripture when someone decides to follow God, especially someone decides to follow Jesus, he gets renamed 
because it's a different person altogether from the person they were before. And perhaps Levi would have considered himself to be the last person to have followed Jesus, to be called by Jesus. Why? Because as a tax collector, he was despised in society. He was despised by the Jews. He would sit at the toll booth watching people come in and out of the city and just taxing people for their goods. You know, you, you kind of know the idea when we were allowed to cross the border back in the day. Remember that? You know, go to Bellingham and go to you know, Costco and Walmart and, <laughs> and Target. Uh, you come back and you got to declare your taxes, right? You got, you know, it's kind of, if, if you work in that, you know, if you're a border guard, nothing against you, but, I'm, you know, I don't want to compare you to a tax collector in Scripture. But the same way, when, when, in that moment when you're being taxed, no one feels good about it. You know, no one feels like, well, I don't want to pay any more than I really want to. So he was despised in society as a whole. But even more than this, uh, being a Jewish person, he was working for the government then. Uh, so working for, for the government and working for the Gentiles. So the Jews would despise tax collectors for giving up, uh, being a traitor, uh, and, and, and for giving up uh, and, and putting, uh, taxing his own uh, people. And often what we see here that in tax collectors that they would taxed a little bit more because there wasn't really a good system. So they're taxed a little bit more and keep it for themselves. So people were saying, you know what, these are dishonest people. We don't want to get and stay connected with them. But we see in a couple of chapters before this in Luke 13, three, uh, chapter 3, verse 13, that even the John the Baptist says that there's nothing wrong with collecting taxes. The job itself is not wrong. It's the heart. It's the attitude. Just don't collect more than you need. So here, Levi what I thought, like, I'm the last person that Jesus would come and interact with. So why did Levi get up and leave everything? Anyone else find that astounding? That's kind of strange. Someone would just hear Jesus and get up and leave altogether. And perhaps it's because this wasn't the first, this wasn't the first time that Levi, that Levi heard about Jesus. Remember, just before this, he might have been there and saw the paralytic being healed and saw the paralytic being lowered down from from, from the roof. And also, Jesus was ministering in the area here in Capernaum, which is the area the Levi's working through and working the tax booth. So he would have seen Jesus going in and out and working and preaching and teaching. But I think there's more here to just seeing and hearing Jesus before. I think it's because Levi has been living a life that felt disconnected from God, that's been disconnected and unworthy of God. Whereas when Jesus shows up and has this call, Levi, even though he's been living this life, I feel like he's missing something. And in that moment, he had this great sense of purpose, this great sense of calling, this great sense of understanding what his life is all about. See, Levi was desiring something new, and he wasn't finding it in any, anything else. He wasn't finding it at his toll booth. He wasn't finding it in the work, in the relationships, in the money that he was making because he was well off and doing well. He was feeling restless. He was feeling like he's missing something, not really sure what the purpose of his life is. And then Jesus showed up. And then Jesus spoke to him. Jesus reached out and called him by name. And he heard Jesus preach, and he felt life come up from inside of him, calling him, heard his voice, and his new life jolted into him. He heard Jesus call his name, and he answered and what did he do right after that? He didn't it's like, thank you, and then he sat there. <laughs> what we read in the text is that he hosted a great banquet. Let's, let's read on. In verse 29, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, 
and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. So we kind of see here there's the Pharisees and their crowd and their belonging, and then there's Jesus and the tax collectors and the sinners. And the Pharisees say this, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So right after Jesus calls Levi or Matthew, he follows him. But why did Levi host such a great banquet? We don't really have an explanation of why, but we can speculate and we can theologize and, and, and read into the text and see why he did what he did because God has a word for us here. It really was an outward expression of an inward gratitude. This inward purpose that he found and sensed, there was an outward expression of this relationship, this new relationship with Jesus that he was living out, that everyone could see. So excited, they invited all his friends, all his sinner friends, <laughs> all his tax collector friends. They invited everyone, had this great, great banquet at his house, and he must have been doing well because this might have, might have, must have been a great house, right? A big house to fit so many people. But the Pharisees had something to say about it. Why do you hang out with them? Why do you hang out with these tax collectors? He's already unclean. Why do you associate yourself with someone that is unclean? You see, in, in ancient Israel, the table fellowship is really important. Table fellowship in that culture and time is really important. It shows that you're accepting and welcoming people into your, relation, into your life, into, in, in welcoming those people around you and accepting them for who they are. And when you ate with them, it also showed that you belong to them. That I belong to them and you belong to me. We're friends. We're together. We're in the same crowd. So the religious leaders also believe that by hanging out with them, you, you automatically become unclean and you become a part of them. But here we see this valuable truth that our God is a God who is willing to sit with us. In our mess, in our brokenness, as we're trying to figure things out, we have a God that is patient and willing to sit with us. He doesn't look at you in disgust and say, get away from me. He's saying, I'm going to come into your house. I'm going to come into your mess. I'm going to come into what you're going through. I'm going to walk with you, sit with you, eat with you. And you belong to me and I belong to you. We have a God that is willing to sit with us. So that's why here the Pharisees, they criticize Jesus for hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners. You see, people often criticize what they don't understand. They don't understand what Jesus was doing here. So they're criticizing Jesus. And so next time, uh, when someone is getting really heated about something, this, was, this spoke to me this week, if it's getting really heated about something that you're doing or thinking or, or, or maybe actions that you're taking, you know, just take a step back and, and, and just, just cool down a little bit. That it might not just be because they're trying to be a jerk, uh, to you, it might be something deeper that they don't understand. So how can we bring someone into understand? How do we invite them into our life? And maybe you tried to share the gospel before and it became very hostile. Maybe they're not just want to be hostile with you. They don't really understand. Understand why this life is good, why Jesus is good, why God is great. Take some time to explain that, why God is so important to you. Just like for me, I don't understand. I don't understand why Crocs have charms. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys don't, you wear Crocs, nothing on you. Crocs are great. If you put charms on them, nothing wrong with that either. I don't understand why we wear sandals and we decorate them with these charms. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but I don't understand them. That's why I criticize them. 
I haven't asked someone, why do you like wearing them? Maybe we'll have a little bit more in common <laughs> after that explanation. But here we see the Pharisees not understanding Jesus and criticizing him and jumping into that. But Jesus is so good in his explanation. Jesus is so good in explaining why he is doing what he is doing. So why does Jesus leave everything to follow? Why does Levi leave everything to follow Jesus? Well, it's not just for any reason. It's because of Jesus. He is everything he is looking for. Jesus is everything that he is looking for. We see right here in the next verse that Jesus, he's the physician. He's the physician. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. Jesus is able to heal us. Jesus is able to heal us, not only of our physical wounds and in his timing and in his goodness, but more importantly, he's able to heal you spiritually, of your spiritual wounds, of your spiritual longing. And here at the end of in verse 32 here, it says, I've not come to call the righteous. Righteous meaning those that think they're in a state of morally correctedness. They're, they're in right standing already. That They think that in God's eyes, I'm already right. I'm already good. I'm not come to call those because they think they're already right and that they're already good, but I'm come here to speak and to call the sinner, the person that thinks that they have missed the mark, the person that thinks that they're falling short, that they're not good enough, that they're desperate in need of something more in life. I've come to call them. So Jesus is saying, I'm not come, he's not saying I haven't come to save everyone. He wants to save everyone, even those that think that they're righteous. But what he's saying here is that it's those that, are, that know that they're sinners, that have gone wrong, that have missed the mark, I've come to call them specifically because they know. I'm calling everyone, but it's the person that knows that they've gone wrong that's accepting my invitation, that's wanting to be a part of me. So we see here that Jesus, he is the physician. You see, a righteous person doesn't think they need to repent, right? If I think I'm right already. Why would I need repentance? Why would I need, need God? And the person who thinks they're righteous doesn't feel like they need God altogether. And that's exactly what, Je- uh, what Jesus is getting at here. It's not that he can't and won't save everyone. It's really down to the heart of whether you want saving, whether you want rescue, whether you're at that point where you realize you need this God, that he is the one that you are looking for and he can provide for you in all the ways that you're looking for. So Jesus is the physician who has come to save those who want to be saved. So today, if you're finding yourself desperate, if you're finding yourself in need of a savior, you come to a good place. You come to a place where God can begin that healing work in you, to do something new in you. That's the starting place of your healing, the acknowledgement that we need him. The moment where we lose that, that, that desperation that we need, God, is the moment that we start slipping in our faith, all, all, quite honestly, that we think we can do it all, about, all by ourselves. Because I think for many of us here, that our greatest challenge to having a faith with God is trusting in, in, in our own capabilities, that we can do things all by ourselves. We can trust in our strength, in our intellect, in all that we know, in all we, that we can do. But that really gets in the way of, our vis- uh, of seeing Christ and seeing God for who he really is. Uh, there's a term in meteorology, the study of weather, <laughs> uh, called visibility. You might have heard of, heard of that, right? Uh, the visibility today is 100 kilometers, 10 kilometers. 
It's how far you can see and the objects that you can see. On a good day here, you can see all the way to Mount Baker in the States. Uh, that's a good day of visibility. Well, I think for us, our capabilities get in the way of our visibility, get in the way of us seeing Jesus for who he really is. I really think for many of us, our capabilities get in the way of us following Christ. For, so a reflection point for us is that are we seeing Christ clearly? Or are we just been trusting in ourselves, trusting in our own strength? Because God has come to save those who can't do it on their own. And he's wanting to save and to be with you. So we see here that Jesus is the physician. We also see that Jesus is the bridegroom. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, this is keep eating and they keep drinking. <laughs> Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. So we see here again that they measure up Jesus to John's disciples. So they are both comparing and criticizing Jesus for who he is and what he's doing. He says that Jesus, you know, you and your disciples, uh, you just keep eating and you keep, keep drinking, you keep celebrating. And, and Jesus really, uh, throughout his ministry, gets criticized for two things often. It's for it's for hanging out, hanging out with sinners and for uh, the way that he's fasting or not fasting. The, uh, there's a common theme about this. Uh, and, and they keep picking at this point because in that day, that was the essence of spirituality. You know, if you did all of these things on the outside, that shows how spiritual you are. You are. But God comes through the form that uh, comes in Jesus Christ. The word becomes flesh and shows us what it means to be really close to God. Not with the things on the surface, but with our heart, with this newness that he is giving us. And, and, and they give uh, this image to, and this gives us an image uh, as, the, as uh, the Pharisees speak to Jesus, like, you know, why do you keep on eating and drinking? It really paints a picture that the Pharisees were very joyful people, uh, as I read this, that they didn't like celebrating, that ministry was, 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 was a drag, they didn't like to have fun, uh, they're always gloomy, you know, walking around in their robes, and, you know, people are bowing, you know, so serious all the time, um, and it kind of reminds me of when people look at me like, you're a pastor? I'm like, yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, you know, you just have fun all the time. Well, I, you know, God is good. <laughs> God, God is good. Uh, and, and, you know, they walk around like ministry is a drag and meant to be a burden. And, and life, it's, you know, the joy is sucked out of them. But Je and Jesus says here, no, I come to give joy in life. Give joy in ministry. When you experience Jesus, there's a joy not that we're always on the mountaintop moment jumping and, and hallelujah all the time, but no matter how life is going, there's a joy and there's a goodness because of our God, because of who he is and what he has done. And he's reminding us of that here. And for those of you that are especially serving, and I know maybe you're tired and you have a, a, so many roles going on, this quote spoke to me this week, and it's this, don't worship your calling more than you worship the one who called you. Don't worship your calling more than the one that, that, that don't, more than the way that you worship the one who called you. That it's God who called you. Remember that it's that relationship that's most important. Not in what we can do, not in what we can provide, not what we can give, but who we are. That God wants to be with you. And this life with Christ is a joyful one. It's a good one, no matter what it is. And it's a life worth celebrating, even in the darkest of times. Because God has come to save you because he said you are worth it. 
and you are loved, and you are cherished, no matter what's going on in, this, in your life right now, you are known to me. So what thoughts are circulating in your mind, in your heart? What are people saying about you? How do you go about your daily life? Are you holding on to their words and these thoughts that, that, that are circulating, or holding on to Christ and who he says you are? So Jesus is the bridegroom. He says, life is worth celebrating. Your life is worth celebrating because I made you, because God made you and he knows you and you're cherished by him. So he's the physician. He's the bridegroom. And we've been saying Jesus is everything we're looking for. He also says that he's the garment. Verse 36, he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they'll have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. This past week, we had a board meeting, and we are talking about renos again, and it sounds like we are going through, we're pushing through. If you don't know Jermaine's the chair of our board, and she's doing an amazing job this year, you know, pushing uh, the, uh, the plans forward and having these discussions. We talked about we need to change the carpets and moving the pulpit, but underneath the pulpit is a secret. There's no carpet. <laughs> underneath of it. So if you took it off, what, what are you going to do? Is this be, I might, actually might just be a hole that falls into the, into the kitchen, actually. Um, so we're going to need to patch it. And we're like, well, can't we just patch it with some more carpet? Well, you can't just, this, this carpet's old. We can't just grab a new carpet and patch it. Even if it's the exact same color, it'll look different. Uh, it, you don't do that. You've got to change the whole thing, right? We're going to have to redo the whole carpet. And Jesus, in the same way, he's saying, I didn't come to patch the old, but to give the new. I didn't come just to patch up your old life and to put a cover over it and be like, you know, that's good. You know, <laughs> it's covered, covered over that hole, that mark, and that's good. No, he said, I've come to give the new. And in scripture, if you do a little word study and dive into garments and robes, it's fascinating. Too much time <laughs> right now to explain. Uh, maybe too geeky for you. You're like, what? You, you know, word study and robes. Well, if you're into that stuff, I invite you to do it. Well, garments are, are sometimes used to picture character and conduct. Like when you're robed with something, that, that's an illustration for character and the way that we live. Isaiah wrote about the robe of righteousness in Isaiah 61 that we're clothed with, that God puts over us. Uh, we get a picture of, again, character and conduct in Colossians 3. Uh, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. Right? Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And really all of this has to do with a warning against us working for our own salvation. That our salvation and our righteousness and our character, the change of our character and our, and our conduct and everything about us is placed upon us like a robe. It's not earned. It's not something you can do. But it's placed upon, upon you. So our salvation is not upon our good works, but it's upon the new things that God is doing upon how he, patch, he gives you a new robe altogether. He places that over you. And Jesus, in fact, in the New Testament, we see that he doesn't just place a robe over us. He is the robe. He is the actual robe that you're covered with so that when we stand before God one day, he doesn't see us for all our sin and brokenness, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees Christ in us and on us that that is the goodness and the newness that we experience. And I like what uh, Wearsby, which I will quote from often because I find his fa uh, commentary fascinating. He says, many people have a patchwork religion, 
of their own making, instead of trusting Christ for the robe of salvation that he gives by grace. So he says that many of us have a patchwork religion, that there are only certain parts of us that need Christ, and the other parts I'll keep, and I'll have it stay the same. But here, Jesus is the garment. He puts over us a new robe. He wants all good things for us, but are we resisting? Are we just saying we want to keep those parts of our lives because I like them? We want, oh, I, but Jesus, I only want to give you these parts so you can have this, but the rest of them, I like that. I like that desire I have. I like that thought that I have, that practice of my life. But this, don't touch that, but only heal these parts. No, Jesus changes all of us. He gives us this newness, this freshness. And some of you maybe are feeling tired because you've been really trying really hard. And maybe I want to gently urge you this morning, maybe it's because we're still holding on to some of that, that we haven't experienced the total freshness and newness. We haven't given up that part of life yet, and you're feeling exhausted and weighed down. But Jesus is saying today, enough of the striving. Like, stop striving. Stop just surviving on your own. Just allow me to come over you and just cover you with my robes of righteousness, my, my robes of comfort and rest and love and patience and goodness and kindness. And just sit and be still. Because there's nothing you can do that can earn my love any more than I've already given you. There's nothing more you can do. So sit and be still. Jesus is the garment. And lastly, we see Jesus himself saying that he is the wineskin. Jesus is the wineskin. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. No one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. Unfermented wine, uh, as you put it into, back then, it was wineskin, uh, a bag. Uh, as, as they ferment, uh, it releases gas and bubbles. So the new wine has to be put in a new wineskin because the old wineskin has been stretched out already. And as these gases and bubbles are released in the bag, it will burst it. That's, that's the simple explanation uh, of what, of what, what he's, uh, Jesus is explaining. And he's saying here in the same way, in, in line with the garment illustration, the new life of the Spirit, it can't be forced into old wineskins, into the old ways of thinking, into, the old, into our old lives. It's not about fitting Jesus into our old lives. And having him do what we want to do. He's saying here specifically as well to the Pharisees, it's not about adding Christ into, into the old ways of Judaism because God is doing something new. He's renewing the covenant and fulfilling all things. And it's the same for us. Again, it's not Jesus plus whatever else we want. And to keep all those aspects of our lives. The Pharisees favored the past, but I think we all do the same thing. I definitely have my struggles. I'm like, man, do I want to do that? I want to keep that part of my life. Yesterday night, I just yesterday night I met someone that played in the same baseball league uh, as me uh, back in in the day, and we were talking for a long time. And Jess is like, you you know, you're talking, you connected for a very very long time. Um, like yeah, and we're talking about these things. And uh, he's in ministry now as well, so we had that connection as well. I didn't know him from before, and it was fascinating. We asked the question like, you know, would you still want to be playing, you know, in that league? And to be honest, parts of me say yes, but parts of me, God has been renewing and saying, I wouldn't want to be give give I want I wouldn't want to give up what I'm doing now for anything else in the world because of the calling that God has placed upon me. But I still struggle with that every single day. There's parts of me that's like, you know what? 
Doug, like, don't you want to do that again? Don't you want to chase that part of your life or that dream? I think, but God has replaced something new in me, new dreams and new visions. And maybe some of you are doing the same thing. You favor some parts of your past, how things used to be better, how there's still parts of your life that you're holding on to. Jesus is saying to us today to let that go, those old thoughts and desires, because those thoughts and desires might be the very thing, again, holding you back, holding you back from experiencing new, new life in Christ. So Jesus is the physician. Jesus, <laughs> my Bible app just went off. Every time I say Jesus, uh, 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 Jesus, yeah, Jesus is the bridegroom. Uh, Jesus is the garment. He's the wineskin. Jesus is, in other words, it's everything you're looking for. That's why Levi left everything and followed, because he recognized that. Do we see that? Do we recognize Christ for who he is? Two final questions for us. Are you desiring something new today? I mean, new rest, new dreams, new vision, new hope, new purpose. If that's you, as I've been saying, you come to a good place at the foot of the cross because Jesus is enough. and He is able to give. He's able to provide. Second question, what do you need to leave behind today? As you come into God's house this morning, you're bringing in certain thoughts and desires and things that you're really wrestling with. Maybe God is changing and renewing that. What do you need to leave behind today at the foot of the cross and say, God, this is yours. I don't know. I don't have the plans. I don't know what my life is going to hold, but I leave it with you for you to handle because you know. Jesus Christ still offers new things. He makes all things new. We read that in Revelation 21. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still offering new newness to you, to your life. And as the physician, he offers sinners new life and spiritual health. As the bridegroom, he brings new love and joy, and he gives the robe of righteousness and the wine of the Spirit for you that want to be filled with power and goodness. He's still wanting to give that to you today. And I'll leave you with this quote, that life is a feast, not a famine or a funeral. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can make that kind of difference in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the giver of all good gifts. And we come to you this morning, maybe on a mountaintop moment, we're raising our hands in praise and life is good. But maybe, God, we're coming to you in our valley in darkest moments saying we're in need of you. No matter the mountain moments or the valley moments, God, may you grow in us a desperation for you, just like Levi was desperate. And today, may we hear our voice, your voice calling our name, saying, son, daughter, you are loved and you are known. Come back to me and may we experience this goodness because Jesus, you're the only one who can give everything that we need in this life.